right. don't think we've ever gotten into a situation where we didn't have anything to talk about, Mickey. I think we've already demonstrated that. <laughs> Unless you want to just throw Rich under the bus and let him lead us in. Well, let the guest intro the show. Mickey, we're back. Episode, I don't know what. Thanks for uh, thanks for rejoining the podcast of CR Improv. It's good to enjoy winter together. Did we have a winter? I mean, I mean, I mean, one could argue 50, 60, 70 degrees in February in Pennsylvania is not a winter. Yeah. Yeah. I well, it did snow last night, so I'm kind of counting last night as winter. Um, that's pretty much pretty much that was the only time i got to drive in snow all all actually for the last two years i think maybe there was a little bit last year but yeah as a native upstate i didn't get get snow i got sleet oh yeah we got like two inches of snow but it was gone by this morning so anyway it's good to be back i know yeah i'm gonna move up north so then i can actually enjoy snow back to my homeland um cabin yeah i have one (laughs) we'll talk about that later uh it's good to be back uh we have a great guest with us today we're going to talk about i mean already in the pre-recording recording recording, which no one who is listening now has probably heard much of unless maybe there was a funny joke that we made that was the intro to the episode but we've had some interesting conversations already about spreadsheets about old software from the 90s and a, a plethora of other topics uh but we have with us today rich kokeman and i think i got the last name pronunciation right um we are we're really excited to have rich with us uh he's got like a lot of a, a diverse set of skills and experience that we're really gonna uh that we're gonna kind of lean into as we talk about of course what we talk about here data crm technology producing growth these are all things that very much enliven him. Rich, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. So, so um, I just want to say, Rich, we've known each other for five years, six. Yeah, five, six years. We we met at a conference uh, somewhere in the twenty teens, the later twenty teens, pre-pandemic, back when we could travel. Um, <laughs> um, when everyone wanted colleagues. to travel. Yes. One of my colleagues at Canadian Company introduced us. We got to sit down and have a couple of conversations. Um, it was very apparent. Then Rich knew what he was talking about. Um, he knows this space really well. And I'll, Rich, I'll let you, I'll turn it to you in just a moment to kind of share your background. But, um, you know, and then we just reconnected again uh, this this January and um, and talked and I, you know, it just reminded me then, Rich, like, we got to have you on the show. Um, you're you're in the weeds um, with some colleges, universities. Um, you're diving into data. You're diving into to CRM. You may not be inside the CRM, but you know what needs to happen to for that CRM to function properly. Um, and that's what we want schools to hear. We want them to generate these ideas, to build their own plans, to understand for themselves what they need to be doing to grow um and you have that. You have that magic sauce. The, the, all the ingredients there to put together. So, so I'll I'll pass the baton to you, Rich. 
Tell us what you've done in your career that's helped you know what you know. Sure. Uh, thanks so much for that introduction. Um, and thanks also for, for uh, having me on the show on behalf of both, I, I said this earlier, but on behalf of both myself and my wife, who yesterday was asking me what this podcast was going to be about. And I told her it was all about CRMs and data and analytics and reporting and how excited I was to do. And she was just like, <laughs> why do you have this outlet? <laughs> Uh, it saves her from, from having to listen to me. Um, so thank you for that introduction. Um, my path into CRM, it's not, um, it, it's sort of a winding path. And I've, I've done a lot of things that, that I'll share. And I think once you hear it, it'll make sense, like how and why I work in this world. Um, the first 15 years or so of my career, various forms of data-driven business management, I actually started off as a marketing analyst, um, for a company that was doing a lot of uh, B2C marketing. Um, so there was lots and lots of data. There were lots of things to analyze. Um, as that marketer or as the analyst, I was using data and databases all the time. Um, I was producing reports for management. I was also doing deeper ad hoc analytics, et cetera. Um, and in those 15 years, it's sort of, I used that to leverage into a lot of other things, including product management, pricing, pricing optimization, again, very sort of data heavy. Um, about 11 or 12 years ago, I pivoted firmly into uh, education and more specifically higher education and, and skills-based training. Um, I don't do too much in K-12, but I came to it by way of, um, it was EV, people can see this on my LinkedIn profile. It was EVP of marketing and analytics for 2U um, in their early years uh, and, and in some of the early, really strong growth years. Uh, I also started there an enrollment operations team. Um, and, and the idea was, and this is where I got even deeper into CRMs, but the idea was I was, I was running this marketing and analytics shop and you know we're always running this sort of constrained optimization. You have a finite amount of budget, you have an infinite number of places you can put that money. It gets even more complex when you think about there's sort of different levels of return with different levels of investment in each of these channels. So we're always running this constrained optimization. My team's job was sort of done once inquiries came in and they were handed off to admissions teams, enrollment teams. My success was measured based on how many students we got. Mm -hmm. So it was one of these classic, like I had all of the responsibility for half of the goal uh, that I would sort of, I had half the responsibility and none of the authority, I guess we could call it. So what I started seeing was, some of the admissions teams were taking what I thought were really good leads, really good inquiries uh, that I was driving, and we were just not getting students. Before you think this is a marketing versus sales conversation, because it's not, there was another team for whom I was not doing a good job of, of bringing in high quality inquiries. I just, I knew it. I knew the sources that I was getting them from. And yet this team was turning people into students. They, they had the secret sauce. So I got really interested in what they were doing. Um, and as I learned more about what they were doing and how all four or five or six of these uh, different admissions teams had different instances of Salesforce, so they have different data, they have different processes. I became really, really fixated on how do we standardize and do a better job with our processes, with standardizing platforms, and then also using data and analytics to make people more efficient and productive. And, and in turn, never really losing sight of 
there are applicants on the other side that are looking to have a good experience. How do we make sure all of this works together? So, sorry, I already took sort of a, a CRM-related detour here, but did that, um, getting back to my career history, spent some time as the chief marketing officer at General Assembly, which is a coding bootcamp. Um, and then for the last seven or eight years, I've had my own consulting practice, all within kind of the business side of education. Um, those sectors that I mentioned before, higher ed, continuing ed, my clients are companies really helping with growth strategies and sustainable growth strategies. So again, a lot of marketing, sales, sales optimization, use of data. Some of my clients are universities for whom I do a lot of the same things. The reason that I said I kind of feel like I've had a, a strange path into CRM is I didn't start off as a technologist. I didn't start off working in any sort of admissions floor or anything like that. I started off as an analyst. And as an analyst, what I, I think to be interesting is I knew what the result had to be. You know, there's that concept, start with the end in mind. And I would start thinking about well, what reports do I need? What data do I need? How do I need it organized in order to run analysis uh, and get better insights? And think that all the way back to how is the data being created? I think having that holistic point of view has served me really well when it comes to CRMs. I think it's a lot more complex. There's a lot more transactional things happening and you have to be more and more sophisticated about how you store it and why you store it and how it's going to be used. Um, but I think that it's, it's in some ways a very natural kind of progression because it's a lot of the same thought processes. Mm -hmm. uh, so a lot goes through my mind, but I'm, and I'm going to even segue for a moment based on what one of the comments you just said, um, because you didn't start as a technologist. Right. Either did I. I always, and I always tell folks, you know, I'm, I'm a technologist by trade, but I'm enrolled. I'm an enrollment manager by heart. That's that's where I started, and it just kind of hit me. We were talking in our pre-show recording uh, about um, being seasoned. All three yeah. of us have varying <laughs> levels of season uh, behind us, and I don't think. Well, I don't. I don't believe any of the folks that I come across in my work, either other firms that do what we do, at schools, universities, started as a technologist when it comes to CRM, because when we started, that that didn't exist, mm -hmm. at least not in higher ed, in a form that could be used by an end user, right? Um, whereas the people behind us, I think we're at a point where there are some people that can say, I started as the technologist in CRM yeah. uh, because it's now been around. And so it's it'll be, to me, it just, it's interesting in thinking about how you go about doing your work Rich, because you started before that technology existed and you're thinking of data first yeah. versus starting with the technology, having that first and data second. Mm -hmm. uh, it'll be interesting to see how and I don't know, there's things to think about and study behind that. But that really stood out to yeah. me when you were saying that it like resonated. And yeah. I think one of the things if if we have time this morning, if we even to get into is well, what do you look for? When you're looking for someone, do you look for the technologist? Do you look for the data specialist, the business analyst? What is it you're looking for as you build out, you know, your support team um, with your CRM as it grows? But yeah, I actually um, think that's a, that's a fascinating topic. Probably, maybe not one that we'd get into today. But I also think, though, it, that struck me. You know, like to me, the 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 adage or maybe the the thing I've heard about Bill Gates, right? He's like always he always thinks of himself first as a programmer, 
he owns the freaking company, but it's like he first thinks of himself as a programmer. And I feel like everything he does kind of stems from that that vantage point. And I, I totally agree with you. I think, you know, when I used to be a director of admissions, uh, one of the things that I always loved when I was thinking about my team, I, I would always first look at the transfer counselor. Uh, the future leader of the department usually was the person who was in charge of transfer admissions because they knew they knew more than anyone else about everything that was going on. I don't know why. Maybe that was just my own experience, but I felt like those individuals were always my go-to people when it came to like understanding, like, what are the warts? What are the things that we can't get over? What are the things that people, you know, that I feel like transfers are just the audience uh, on the undergrad side that like really had to be convinced more. And they were always the people that could do it. Hey, I know you're deeply engaged with this conversation, but we're going to pause just for a moment for an important word from our sponsors. You've almost certainly heard of Slate, one of the most powerful admission CRMs on the market. And you may have heard of HubSpot, a dynamic and robust marketing CRM that is second to none when it comes to marketing and full funnel reporting. But have you heard of HubSlate? HubSlate is a two-way data sync between HubSpot and Slate that ensures consistency of data and information for prospective, current, and former students. Garner the days of list uploads, checking multiple platforms for the most up-to-date information, or having to pull multiple reports in order to get a sense of your entire enrollment funnel. With HubSlate, you'll be able to work smarter, more efficiently, and without all the stress that comes with managing contact records. It's 2023, folks. It's time to let your systems do the work for you. So if you want to learn more about HubSlate or see a demo, visit enrollify.org forward slash hubslate that's enrollify.org forward slash hubslate and you'll instantly qualify for 20 percent off the onboarding fee all right folks check it out if you're on hubspot or on slate and or considering hubspot or slate be sure to check out hubslate well so i want to talk um since we were starting off with data mm -hmm. you also threw out a, a term that we've talked a little bit before on this show um, but uh, sales ops, mm -hmm. because when it comes to CRM, what a CRM does is support marketing and admissions, at least CRM from an admissions perspective, that recruitment and admissions outreach, but it supports enrollment marketing. It supports uh, admissions and outreach, the sales process. So in your work with, with sales ops, can you talk just a little bit about, you know, what are the basic foundational elements when you're thinking some of the companies you work with from a sales ops perspective? Because mm -hmm. I like to break apart and think, you know, what are what is happening outside of higher ed? How do we translate that into higher ed so that we can understand it? But, but the reason I do that is because outside of higher ed, they're typically one to five or 10 years maybe ahead of us. Um, mm -hmm. And so what do you see there? Because, you know, you're, you're, background and being able to work with both helps you expedite and accelerate maybe the schools catching up faster to other industries yeah. uh, because you can bring that um, understanding and translate what one industry is doing to higher ed more easily. So, you know, when you think about sales ops, you think about how data informs the ability of a sales ops function to work better. Mm -hmm. What, what is at the foundation of that? Um, that's a great question. Uh, and thank you for the setup. I might bring you along to some client pitches. Um, <laughs> the, again, I go back to the, the concept I said earlier, um, which is always starting with the end in mind. 
Yeah. Um, and when it comes to your enrollment center, your contact center, your, your outreach strategy, um, similar to, to what I was saying, and I think this was the point I was trying to make earlier uh, when I was talking about marketing budgets and a, an infinite number of options, but, but a, a finite or, or scarce amount of budget. If you have 10 enrollment counselors that are working 40 hours a week, they have 400 hours per week. I'm always thinking, what is the best use of their time? And how do you engender that? How do you, how do you support that? Um, so for me, the whole concept with sales ops and use of, of CRMs is, um, I mean, on the one hand, reporting and reporting for deans and enrollment centers and um, uh, other student support so, so that staffing is right, but also just what, what should people be doing? Um, so, so I'm using data to understand who is new, who just raised their hand. And we can think about for that segment, what's, what's the best outreach? What's the best use of time? Um, do you want to, at that point, do you have enough history and enough information about people that you want to score them to figure out who am I going to invest more time and direct outreach to versus who am I going to start sending a set of emails to and wait for them to engage a second time before I take my scarcer resource, which is people's time. Um, as candidates uh, or applicants start going through a process, every school, every company has a different, I'll call it sales process or enrollment process. Let's map that out. I'm always thinking about what do we need the prospective student to be demonstrating? I am not a fan of, of ever letting admissions people say somebody is in this stage or somebody is in this stage. No, like have they actually sent in their application? Have we actually seen a letter of recommendation come through? Only then can you tell me they are higher or lower probability um, or only then can we say they're in this stage or that stage. Um, and still similarly using that information, where are people in this process? From there, we can either automate um, outreach to them through email, through chat, through text. We can pick up the phone. We can send them letters. Like we can just start thinking about what is the right amount of outreach for the team we have. And if everything is done properly, we're measuring it along the way. Um, the one other thing I'll, I'll add in there that's really sort of critical when building any of these things um, is to make sure that all of these stages or activities, um, they get a timestamp on them. Let's understand what the velocity is. Let's also understand, and this is especially important, I think for when you're deciding what your priorities are as an enrollment counselor. When was the last time we saw somebody? When was the last time we did any outreach to them? Just using those two pieces of information, I can make somebody way more effective than somebody just opening up Salesforce and seeing, a whole list of names and, and prospective students. It sounds so simple. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> but, you know, I, I love that you started with that. Um, and I don't can't recall if I've ever or the last time if I did kind of refer refer to it the way you did and because it goes to me visually very well. Um, ten you got 10 uh, admission counselors, recruiters, enrollment counselors, whatever you want to call them. You got 10 of them. 
40 hours a week, that's 400 hours. How are you using those 400 hours to enroll students, whether that's next fall, next month, whatever, you know, and I remember when I had a team of seven, you know, I didn't do it that way, but I did be, because they had three or two primary things I needed them to do. They, they recruited students, but they also advised and supported current students, but their primary job was the recruitment. And so we just had a 60, 30, 10 model because mm -hmm. it wasn't always that way. They, when I first took over the program, it was very much, I'm here to support these students and then I enroll students. I'm like, no, because we need more students. And so we shifted and I just put this framework, 60, 30, 10, 60% recruitment, 30% support, 10% other duties as assigned. Whoever created that's a genius, that, that topic. But, um, but we did that. And then, you know, for those who, I don't want to say weren't producing, but weren't having enough conversations that we knew needed to be had in order to have the number of students we needed, then we could go to say, um, Let's look at how you're spending your time. And that's what eventually led to me going into my calendar and just color coding how I spend my time. Mm -hmm. So that if my job is enrolling students, I can look to see what my time was spent on. And I can say, well, 50% of your time this week was spent recruiting students. It needs to be 60. Right. That doesn't mean next week we're going to 60. That means next week we need to be at 70 because we have to make up for the time we just lost. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and those conversations helped ensure that not just me, but the team understood how they're spending the time and help them think more critically about is if I spend my time doing whatever this activity is this week, how is that going to help? And what do I need to do differently next week because of it? Part of, I, I love that approach. And, and even when I started my own consulting practice uh, for a couple of years, I I logged all of my time and and had it coded as this is time for prospecting. This is time for clients. This is time yes. for networking, et cetera, to keep me honest. Because like at any given time, what I'm doing is really, really important. But you had to sort of take that step back to understand, is this contributing to, to my goals? I, I do think part of the art and science of all of this is making sure the systems are still there to support the people and that we're not creating so much overhead in terms of everything that has to be input and all of the time that it's taking to input different things such mm -hmm. that the system is managing us. Yeah. hundred um, percent. And that's, you know, when you start stepping back from philosophically, what are we trying to achieve? Yeah. We're in the nuts and bolts of what's really important here. Yeah. Is this activity actually going to be producing value? Yeah. Um, one other sort of pillar that I use, um, and this will, will vary from client to client, but I have my own uh, very strong feelings about it. At, at one extreme, you could, uh, if, if you clicked your heels three times, um, you could build a CRM system with marketing automation that just automates everything. And it's not just the outreach, but it's also telling everybody on your enrollment advising team, here's the next call you should make. Here's the next person you should reach out to. Here's the next. And it's just, it's feeding it to you one by one. And as soon as you finish the task, it gives you the next one. I am actually not at all a fan of doing that. Um, one, I don't think any system can be, I don't think there's any amount of analytics that makes you perfect at doing that. Um, and I also think that your enrollment advisors are 
at least in the, the marketing side, until people become students, they are the single most important asset that's there. And they actually know the most amount of, of anybody else. They're, they're talking to prospective students. They know what's motivating people, what's keeping people from doing things, et cetera. And, and the good ones know their students or their prospects really, really well. Um, because of that, the other thing that I'm always trying to do when designing these systems or figuring out what stage somebody is in, um, I want to give enrollment managers, enrollment counselors, all the information they need so they can best organize their day. Hey, these are the, you know, like I was saying before, these are the new leads. These are the people that just submitted an application. These are the people that just were admitted. Like, I want them to be thinking about what's the most, give them some guidance, but this is the next most important call to make, um, but let them do it. And, and as a former, um, as a mentor of mine uh, said to me once, because we were having this debate, he said, if you treat people like robots, you're only going to hire robots. Yeah. If you treat people like, you know, smart thinking, thoughtful humans, that's who is going to be attracted to and stay with your organization. This whole podcast is about growth through technology, but but we have to figure out like what's the what is the root of our cause, right? Is the root of our cause like we want to get to the bottom line, or is it that we want to find and place students in the most you know optimal place for their future, for the future of our institution, for all those that kind of things? And I think that like really gets to the brass tacks of like it's why we all love higher ed, right? There's deep down inside. Like I, I love presenting and like making the joke about no one jumps into higher ed because they're going to get rich because it's true. No person in higher ed is getting into it except maybe in the for-profit world because it's revenue, like, you know, super lucrative. We get into it because we have a deep passion for what education does for people. Mm -hmm. And you're, you're spot on. I love how you said that with like the, the fact that like the people have to use the tool, the tools, you know, the people are the, that which manage the tools, the, the tool doesn't manage the people. So right. like, uh, so good. It, it, it goes to uh, one of the things that I, I see is, you know, we're not using technology for technology's sake. Technology yeah. is there to support the work that the humans need to do. Yep. When it, especially when it, like when it, we're talking admissions here. So when you first started say, talking, Rich, I was like, I'm going to have to say, I disagree a little bit, but as you talked and finished it, I, I'm not disagreeing. I think, um, different angles to the same point. Um, so one thing's like, you know, I don't want the CRM to say, here's who to call next, right? Is one of the, like, you don't necessarily want that type of robotic environment. And what comes to my mind was, I initially I thought, I, I kind of do want that, but I don't. What I want, and this is where you came to, and that is, you know, if I've got a prospect pool, and I'm thinking like a traditional admissions counselor, my prospect territory and the people that are in there might be in the thousands. Mm -hmm. So I need to be informed who's done what to know that it is time to necessarily connect. It's not necessarily, I don't need the tool to say, Mickey, call Jamie. I just need to know that Jamie took an action so that I can critically assess, is this the right time to have that connection? Correct. And, and it is, I'm going to say this, and I, and, I, and I think I believe this, and I'm pretty certain I believe it, but it can be easier to build that in the technology to automate it than to teach Jamie how to critically assess that. A hundred percent. 
Like there are things that have to be in place before I can make the technology smart enough to do those things. There are a lot of building blocks that have to go in place. Yeah. But if I've got those building blocks in place to turn that feature on to just say, Jimmy called this, that's the easy way out. Right. Yeah. And that's why we get this rinse and repeat stuff that's going out there. But if we want to grow with technology, like, like it is putting the building blocks in place that allow the minds of our staff to be put to use yes. to engage and build relationships with students. So when I was in one of my former companies, um, we'll keep this clean. In one of my former <laughs> companies, there was a lot of, um, there was originally reporting on how much phone time there was from the admissions team. And I just I threw that out as a KPI. I'm like, yeah. no, like, let me be clear. We should still measure it, but the first thing that we should be doing is measuring um, either not even contacts, like, hey, how many, because, you know, you get interest and then those people had to start applications. How many applications is this person's poll? How many applications are coming through this person's poll? And we're kind of sophisticated. We had um, a proprietary application. Uh, you could start seeing when people were in the application for the second or third time. So I'm measuring those things. And if the enrollment advisors were doing well there, I didn't care how much phone time they had, how many phone calls they were making. They were thinking, you know, maybe they were lucky, or they were thinking critically about who is in my pool, what do I know about them, based on these tools that the sales ops team has given me, I can manage my day. And look, I am helping to get more students into programs. Um, I, I love, I love that. I'm sorry to interrupt, but, but this is one of the things that, that I've been talking a lot about this year is about this. How do we collect, what are the types of data we need to collect and use? And so what you kind of said there, you threw out a magic number or magic data point, And that's, we knew that it was the second or third time that someone logged into the application. So mm -hmm. if I were to ask m many of our clients or many of the prospective clients that we even talk to, how, what is the average number of logins it takes an applicant to take to start and then submit the application mm -hmm. form or to complete the application process? Um, that's a rich data point to have, right? Really Think of point. all the things that you can do with that type of data. And it's not something that most of them, well, I don't know about that. That's a good statement, but some schools can easily get that. Some cannot, uh, depending yeah. upon the tool that you have. And that is where, if you don't know where you want to go, mm -hmm. that's what you don't know to ask for in a selection process. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Because then you don't know. They'll all show you, look how cool this application is. Students can just go through it. They see where they are. But if you can't gather how many logins they're making to do that, then you've just limited yourself yeah. for probably at least five years from taking great actionable first party data, right? Which we want more first party data that can just think of all the things the the automate if you wanted automated communications or if you wanted to inform Jamie, hey Jamie, Mickey just logged in for the third time. Yep. It's been three weeks. Right. You know, Jamie want to do something like that. So sorry to yeah. cut you off, Rich, but that it, was it, like you know, right I, on I, my mind. Thank you for for reemphasizing it. it. It's a it's one of a few different I think sort of magic numbers, and it has huge value when it comes to uh, predictive analytics. I don't even want to say predictive analytics; just estimating how many enrollments or how many applications you might end up with, how many completed applications. 
the um just to complete my point before um love coming up with those types of kpis for the folks that are working as enrollment advisors because again like just the the stat of how many of the people in your pool have been in their application for a second or third time this week if i know that's a good number i know that everything else this person is doing is right like i don't need to measure anything else they their contact you know they're they're doing the right outreach they're having the right conversations etc it's only when some of these numbers um, or some of the goals that are out there, you know, your bottom 20% of people, then you can go to them and also look at some of their activity numbers. And I always say, if they have good activity numbers, well, now I, as their manager, know that the coaching opportunity, let's talk about the conversations you're having. Let's talk about who you're choosing to chat with um, or do outreach to. Great. If their numbers are really low, well, then maybe it's another problem and a whole different conversation you have with them. But I'm always starting with what are the outcomes? Well, I shouldn't say outcomes in a higher ed context. Um, what are the conversions? What sure. are the results that we're seeing? And only then go back to other things that I think are sort of the, the lazy manager or lazy woman's KPI. I think it's interesting that you just, you know, it's so I think there's a cynic in me as a Gen Xer that automatically thinks um, that the people that were uh, that were going to be hiring are always going to want to take the easy way out, right? They're always going to want to have the technology that says do this so you don't have to think. I mean, my own teenagers, I, I like, you know, the conversations avail uh, to the n- number of times that we have to tell them to to resist the temptation to like look up the answer so that way you know because google can feed them the answer anytime they want and the the easy way out always seems like it involves the use of technology i think what you're saying here is it's not an it's not an either or and i want to be careful not to like kind of fall into the it's either you know the person's a hard worker and intuitive or they rely on technology i think it's it's like this really paper thin fine line of both and where mm-hmm. you have people who have who are willing to put in the time to think critically about what matters like making under getting a, a global understanding of what matters but then also using the technology to leverage that what matters to like make that an important part of their own uh their own repertoire of like how they handle the storytelling, how they handle the process, how they handle, you know, X, Y, Z, but making available that technology to get them to that point. And I think that's like, that's like such a critical need in this space, you know, as we like put ourselves up against people, including, you know, you know, vendors in the space who are saying it's not necessarily about like, um, it's not necessarily about those meaningful engagements. It's about the numbers. It's about just pumping more in so that we can get more out. And I think that like putting a stick of dynamite under that and just blowing it up from the root. I mean, it's hard. It's it's hard, I think, on the higher ed side because they're like, well, we need the numbers, right? We need to have the numbers for our, our sure. bond rating, for our blah, 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 whatever you want to say. But it's like, but in reality, what they need is those students who are going to say yes, who are going to be engaged, who are going to stay and be retained and graduate and be great alumni and then come back and send their kids. It's like, it's not just 
a six month, you know, win. We're looking for a 60 year win from this Mm -hmm. student. And how do we get to that point where we're like investing from the first interaction instead of just reading them as like a data point, you know, they're just a number, so to speak, not even so to speak, actually quite literally just a number. And it's like, we, we want them to be a human. Yeah, hundred percent. Man, you've really got me going here. This is like this is this is this is something. Yeah, I mean, I'm usually the one on the soapbox, um, but I've I've virtually passed it over to (laughs) to Amy. I think this point. What you know, there's something, and and this is very far out beyond that sixty year out range that you're you're talking about. But uh, and and I don't want to take us down a huge rabbit hole. But you know, I, I think about this a lot as as institutions shift to online models. What does that do to alumni relations and advancement and fundraising, especially institutions who, who have larger endowments, who built that up to help sustain yeah. or grow, maybe not sustain, grow. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't fundraise the same way when everyone's virtual. And the thing that, that stands out to me about that is once you go virtual, that recruitment approach, that in, which starts your relationship building process, and then the rest of the relationships that you build there on out for students in an online program is very different. A, we don't necessarily know how to fundraise that group yet. We've not had to do that a whole lot. B, I think even if you do adjust, I don't think the, uh, I would be shocked for anyone to say that my giving rate is equal or greater than um, for my online students, equal or greater than alums from the traditional programs, the in-class face-to-face programs. And so if, you know, what does that do long-term? Uh, and when you set up these models that are only based on numbers and, and, and we help set them up, um, but from recruitment, even student success, because I'm thinking about early um, outreach for er, like early alert programs, students done three things. This is how we respond. And, and the model that we like best, and I don't, you know, we'll find in time how we tweak this, but it's, it's a tiered level approach. And it's, it's just to give the outreach person some guidance on things they could do, but they need to, again, as we were saying, critically assess what is right for that student. We need to understand what information that person needs to see so that they can make that assessment um, in there. And that keeps it more personal or personable. And that, you know, that, that that is you know especially with online schools that's how this outreach is occurring and so we don't want it to be just automations um, because you lose that touch and there's other 10 20 30 year impacts um, yeah. that that we have not yet gotten close to seeing from from this right and we can bring this back to a CRM conversation I was listening to one of your recent episodes and somebody made this amazing point of it's the folks in the advancement office that kind of get screwed because they're the recipients of data that's just been handed down and handed down and handed down and handed yeah. down. Uh, Mickey, the point you're making, and I think it's great, is their job probably gets even harder when it's for online students. Um, you know, I, I some of this con- some of this part of the conversation and what we were talking about just before it, like we can get back into the whole marketing piece of just marketing higher ed programs and online programs. Um, And, and even just, you know, if we think about it from the, from the non higher ed world, like what is the customer experience? You know, what is the student experience? What are you doing along the way to really sort of engender uh, some sense of belonging to that school? Um, 
are you sending people t-shirts? Are you sending people a sticker to put in their car? Um, are you inviting them to campus? Are you trying to find, you know, are you creating communities for your online students so that they can be having conversations with each other, you know, away from mom and dad, so to speak. Um, doing more of that will keep people, I think, closer and it's sort of a whole another set of things to do. Yeah. Um, but it's, uh, it, it is fascinating. I was fortunate to be at 2U in 2011, 12, 13, when some, some much bigger schools, some fairly um, highly ranked schools were beginning to get into online programs. And, and this was very much top of mind for all of them. Um, mm -hmm. My information yeah. was back a ways, but some of those schools, uh, one of the numbers that one of the points we would tout was the giving was actually better from the online community than it was from um, the on-campus students, at least for a year. And I, I don't know if it was more than that, but all you need is one year and then you can keep trotting that number out. We could do a, a series with Rich. Yes, um, I, okay. I totally agree. It would be full of rich content. Oh, very well played. That was that's like borderline kind of dad joke, maybe. <laughs> There's no borderline. You just jumped right over it. That's not borderline. That's apparent. <laughs> Jamie, make him stop. I know. <laughs> My efforts are futile. Um, I would love to be back anytime. Um, yep. I, I enjoy this conversation. Um, I know that for most people, this this might be a really good cure for insomnia, uh, but I, I geek out on this and yeah. I'm, I'm more excited at the end of this conversation, even than I was at the beginning. Oh, awesome. well, so awesome. am I. Uh, yeah. I've got a lot of ideas, uh, things are always running through my head that had sure. you know, my shot at when we're done. So Rich, as always, such a great pleasure connecting and, and talking. I'm glad we're able to share the conversation this time with um, listeners. Uh, everyone, Rich Kogman, great consultant who knows our space, um, who knows a lot about growth. Jamie, that was uh, awesome. Spring's coming. We've got more episodes to to follow. Um, That's right. I think we just had on on our Fanatical Fridays podcast. We just did one on virtual reality. Ooh, uh, yeah. Nice. I've got a lot of comments. Uh, people message me about it, so it's uh, kind of cool to see that. Um, I'm hopeful we can soon show folks we're going to have a video version of the podcast. Uh, I'm just going to say it. That makes it required that we do it now. Yeah. Um, with some cool. of our uh, CRM vendors, we're going to show some behind the scenes look at some platforms. Maybe you've seen some stuff, maybe you've not, um, but we're going to show that we've got several lined up um, coming later this spring. So I'm excited for that. I'm excited yeah. to get back to warmer weather. What are yeah. you saying? What are you excited for, Jamie? Um, yeah, I'm also excited for warmer weather, which means I get to go and visit my off-grid home and uh, spend some time in the in the sand. But most of all, you know, I actually yesterday, sorry, I'm like, it's like intro outro stuff. But um, I spent a lot of time just pruning my raspberry and blueberry bushes. So that was actually, you know, good for the soul. So I had some time off. So it was uh, it was good. So it was a little primer to uh, primer to spring, and then it snowed that evening. So what do you what do you think? I mean, just good timing. Good timing. Yeah, good timing. So, all right, everyone, oh. thanks for joining us, and make sure that you don't miss the next upcoming episodes of CR Improv. And if you want to, leave us a review.
Hey, all Zach here from Neurolify. I hope you enjoyed this episode of CRM Prov. If you liked this episode, do us a huge favor and hit that follow and subscribe button below. Furthermore, if you've got just two minutes to spare, we would greatly appreciate you leaving a rating and a review of this show on Apple Podcasts. Our podcast network is growing by the month, and we've got a plethora of marketing, admissions, and higher ed technology shows that are jam-packed with stories, ideas, and frameworks that are all designed to empower you to become a better higher ed professional. But Enrollify is far more than just a podcast network. Enrollify is where higher ed comes to learn new marketing skills, discover new products and services, and find their next job. We're a growing learning community of 4,000 members, and we love to welcome you into the fold. You can access our free blog articles, newsletters, e-courses, and more, or purchase our master course on how to market a university with Terry Flannery at enrollify.org. We look forward to meeting you soon and welcoming you into the community. Again, you can subscribe for free at enrollify.org.